You're listening to the Editorial Intelligence special broadcast from the Names Not Numbers Symposium. More information on namesnotnumbers.com. Morning, I'm Stefan Stern. It's Gabby Derbyshire from Gawker in the middle. We're just going to lead this session. Last night, on getting back to my room, I hurled myself repeatedly at my window frame to try and get the Leo Johnson look. But unfortunately, <laughs> the, the protruding bit was just above head height. So unfortunately, I appear before you today unimpaired in every way. Um, we're going to have some interesting presentations, but first, a fascinating film. If you are frightened of sideburns, you may wish to leave the room now. But a fascinating piece of work uh, about Aspel's cider coming up behind me. Aspel was founded in 1728 by my five times great-grandfather Clement Chevalier. So it's been running for 284 years and is still 100% owned by the family. One of the reasons it's been able to maintain its individuality is because it's been handed down primogenitor, so the eldest son gets everything. Now, it's probably a bit glib to say that's the reason it's maintained its individuality. Of course, the individuals that have come into the business have had to put their own stamp on it, but that's a much easier thing to do if you don't have to refer your decisions and get approval from other members of the family, so internally or external factors, uh, external investors. Cider is a quintessentially British product. When it comes to export market and our global strategy, playing off the Britishness of it is a huge help, but the UK market is the, is the biggest in the world, uh, it's bigger than the rest of the world put together. So really what makes our product unique in, in the British market is the way we produce it. And then that has that knock-on effect into the global market. We've always set out to make the best liquids and it took us seven years to really define the blend that, that we wanted uh, that defined the brand Aspel. That's what makes our product unique certainly in the United Kingdom and, and in global markets as well. Consumers are all individuals, that goes without saying, but they don't necessarily all behave in an individual way. The one thing that links every single consumer in our market are their taste buds. So we make the best product so that when people see our brand and they've had experience of it, they just, it's an automatic snap decision. However rational or volitional they think they've been, they're not, it's their taste buds doing it for them. Now, if you take that quality cue away that subconsciously drives the, the, the decision making, your taste buds take you there, then you need to start using conscious cues, which is why you start advertising. I don't think you have to be quirky to run a singular business. I think you have to be singular to run a singular business. So when you've got the kernel of an idea, and you think it's got legs. You have to have a passion for it. You have to be focused. You have to be determined. That's what really drives the definition of any business that's built around individuality and individuals. So quirkiness, it could be useful. You don't have to have sideburns to make great cider, but maybe it helps. I haven't shaved now. Uh, uh, Gabby, over to you. 
Um, Hi, so the first person we're going to ha- uh, hear from is David Rowan, who will introduce himself, but he's obviously a tech maven to those of you who know him. Uh, the question that uh, was on the agenda was how lasting is new technology? And of course, we realize that like every other question in this, these sessions, that leads to a hundred potential interpretations and we could be here for a week discussing all the various permutations. So we decided that this question is really, is new technology going to solve our problems or will it just add to the burdens of the human race? Wow, that's a big one. Yes. Thanks, Gabby. So I'm David Rowan. I edit Wired magazine, and um, it's a magazine about innovation and where the world is going, not just technology, new business models, new approaches to design and architecture. Um, And I think technology is increasingly a word we use when something goes wrong. It's the technology's not working. Oh, my God. And, in fact, the trend is towards the idea of technology disappearing as the machine the network lets us be more human. So when you're on Skype and it's working, you're talking to your cousins. When you're playing a game online, you're playing that game and getting really engrossed in it. And, you know, we still got things that don't work when it becomes technology, but I think increasingly that's going to go away. There's a big trend towards what's being called the natural user interface, which is your body, your physical presence is the joystick, is the control. And there have been some um, very successful examples in the last um, year or so. So Microsoft launched its Kinect for Xbox, which has um, a bunch of sensors, a camera that senses where you are in 3D, and it puts you inside the game. And those technologies are now increasingly being used in the outside world. People are adapting them so that you don't need to press a button or fill in a form. Increasingly, your car is going to know who is coming in the car. There'll be face recognition. There'll be 3D depth sensing. It will sync your journey based on what's on your calendar to the sat-nav, and it will become a much more frictionless, much more smooth experience. And already, there's a Swedish company called Toby which develops these um, eye-tracking cameras, tiny little eye-tracking cameras. It's putting inside laptops now. So they're prototypes you can navigate around your Windows experience without using your hands. No mouse, no keyboard. You're just looking at files as they are dragged across the desktop. So I think we're going to have more of this. The um, other aspect of, I think, Julia's original question about new technology keeps coming along. We're encouraged to upgrade, to buy the new thing. It's all a bit consumerist and all a bit wasteful. Um, So I think in the short term... You know, that may be so. It's a boost to Apple's share price each time there's a new launch like there was last week. Um, but I think what's important is all these devices empower us by connecting us more effectively to the network. And it's the network that will solve those problems. The ability for people to crowdsource answers to problems, the ability for education to be shared among people that can't afford tuition fees through new websites like the Khan Academy or Udacity, where the world's best lecturers put their knowledge online for everybody else. And there's also a sense of collective competition that anybody connected with the network can participate in to try and solve those problems. So Peter Diamandis um, talked last week at TED um, in California he runs the XPRIZE Foundation, which gets corporates to put $10 million, $3 million behind a great challenge, and then invites the world to try and solve those technical problems. 
Um, and he's arguing that actually there's abundance in terms of our ability to solve these problems. You don't need to be a pessimist. Um, one of the examples of a team that won an X Prize, there was an X Prize for an incredibly low emission vehicle. A Swiss team won this. Um, it, de it developed a car called the E-Tracer um, that was solar powered, incredibly light, incredibly robust, and it won the $2.5 million prize. They're now going into production. Qualcomm has come up with a $10 million prize for what it's calling the Tricoder, like a Star Trek idea. A little tiny device, maybe something like this, that monitors your personal health in real time and tells the network if you're likely to be developing heart trouble, if your blood pressure is wrong, and so on. And I think the culture of the network, which technology allows us all to connect to, means we're going to solve a lot more of these challenges. Um, the other thing the network does is use psychology to try and change personal behavior in ways that make the world a better place. So um, the openness of the platform increasingly is being tapped into real data about our output. So for instance, if you're trying to encourage people to consume less energy in their workplace or in their home, you can create real-time maps of how much energy is coming out of their individual buildings. The online now in New York, you get a building-by-building building map color-coded as to how much energy is being emitted. If it's red, watch out. And that creates a kind of peer pressure. Um, and I think it's only by being part of that network. I have another minute. Okay. Um, the empowerment that comes through being connected makes the world a more economically sustainable place um, in that it, it allows people in places where there isn't necessarily um, traditional economic infrastructure to have a fair ability to make a wage. So in um, parts of Africa, entrepreneurs are using the ability to connect end users through cell phones, very basic cell phones for instance, to give them real-time crop price information so that the farmer is no longer exploited by the middleman. There's um, apps called iFarm, for instance. There are um, abilities to use that network. Again, it's technology, but it's not technology, to make sure fewer people are dying of malaria because the World Health Organization estimates that about a fifth of people who die of malaria are taking fake medication, and that's the reason they're not getting proper treatment. So an entrepreneur such as Bright Simons, um, creates a way to use your cell phone to type in a code that's on your pillbox and get real-time information back. Is this fake or is this real? It's also this being connected to the network that's allowing anybody in the West to make a bit of extra money, even if they're not in the formal economy. There's sites like TaskRabbit that allow you to offer your skills by the hour and anybody who wants a job done can tap into you. The most popular tasks being bought on TaskRabbit now are, could you put up my IKEA furniture? <laughs> so technology will solve the world's problems, but we won't necessarily think about it as technology. So my question, have you seen and played with an iPad 3 yet? Um, I haven't seen it because I wasn't at the launch. Um, 
Am I actively avoiding getting caught up in the hype of one technology company that's brilliant at manipulating the media? Well, my, 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 my theory, yes. My theory, of course, is you know, the built-in obsolescence of the actual gadgets rather than the technologies themselves is destructive. It is, but what's extraordinary is how quickly um, the tablet device, the iPad is the leading one at the moment, but there are going to be thousands of others pretty soon, um, is providing new economic stimulus to all sorts of other industries. To my industry, publishing, we're reaching, I, I think, a tenth of our sales are now to people accessing wide through the digital device. Um, to what's happening in education, schools increasingly are using this as the all-embracing textbook and allowing the teachers to get on with more important stuff than just marking individual um, algorithmic homework because the machine will do that. So, yeah, you're going to, in the short term, boost a company's share price. But long term, when the price comes down um, and there are more uses for these apps that affect all aspects of our life, um, it's for the good. Thank you, David. Thank you. Thanks, David. One down. Steph Cranendike, 20-year veteran of P&G, now investor, entrepreneur. Tell us about Deso and Cradle to Cradle and the Circular Economy. Steph. Yes. Hello. Um, yes. Um, Deso is a leading... Deso is a Dutch company, a global company leading in carpet tiles and in artificial grass pitches. Carpet tiles you find in uh, Canary Wharf, uh, metropolitan areas in Europe and the rest of the world. And you will find our artificial grass pitches also around the globe. But what we also do is strengthen natural grass pitches, and you will find them all over the United Kingdom. This is the Emirates Stadium. Wembley is ours. Uh, the European Championship and the World Championship in 2014 we will do. So you know a little bit what we do. 80% of the business is uh, carpets, the majority of that being carpet tiles. And we also do woolen carpets for hotels like the Waldorf Astoria in New York and Berlin. Hilton's and Marius, and uh, I st strictly fly my own carpet. Uh, we also do about 50 airlines. Then we have a consumer carpet business in uh, the Netherlands, where we are market leader, and in uh, a couple of other countries in Europe, and 20% of the business is sports. Um, our key strategy is innovation. Uh, we bought the company in 2007. When we bought it from Armstrong World Industries, it was a rather boring company. Excellent quality, great service, but not very good in design. So we worked with circles of architects in order to be inspired by art. And as a result of that, we are now being seen as a trendsetter. The second driver of innovation is functionality. I'll come back to that. But the third driver of innovation is cradle to cradle. And that is the big idea which we embraced. Because we want all of our products to be cradle to cradle in 2020. And cradle to cradle is about making products from such pure materials that you can endlessly recycle them at a very high level. And you make them in such a way that they are easy to disassemble. So that you can do this either in the biosphere, you make them biodegradable, or in the technosphere. Now, one of the things Michael Braungart says that the average indoor air quality is two to three times worse in a room with hard floors than this than in a room with carpets. And all you think, probably eight out of ten people think that hard floors is more healthy, but the opposite is true because a lot, um, because a lot of fine dust is circulating in the air and we generally uh, do not lick our floors, but we inhale every five seconds, don't we? And fine dust uh, are attached to that are viruses, bacteria, allergen and pollen. And this is a great issue. So we 
developed a carpet which we call Desso Airmaster, which is eight times better than hard floors and four times better than um, normal carpet. Now, why am I telling you that? Well, I'm telling you this because cradle to cradle is actually not only about the environment, it is an innovation concept. Why did we go cradle to cradle? It's a good positive quality initiative, so not only about the environment, but about health. Waste becomes food for other products. It's necessary for people and planet. Uh, the Pacific close to California has an area bigger than Western Europe, which they call the plastic soup, where there is 40 times more plastic than plankton and hardly any life. So we have to do this. But the third P, of course, for a company is also crucial, and that is profit. And since ever we embraced this, since 2008, our market share in Europe went up from 15 to 23% in carpet tiles and our profit ninefolded. So what I'm trying to say, those companies who put sustainability or cradle to cradle in the center of the strategy will <coughs> prosper and the rest will either be stuck in the middle or lose. Um, most companies do eco-efficiency. They work on a lower carbon footprint. We do that as well. We have 28% lower energy use than 10 years ago and our CO2 emissions are down 43% in 2011 versus 2007, because we use sustainable uh, sources. But this is about being less bad. What is even better is to be eco-effective, because now you can be proud of your footprint, because everything which is in there is made of pure materials, which you can endlessly recycle. And the sixth point, use renewable energy in all stages of the cycle, is something which we have embraced as well. In 2020, our whole company will have to drive on sustainable energy. We already have 23,000 square meters of sun panels. We invest in wind energy, biomass fermentation, groundwater cooling and heating, geothermal energy and hydropower. And with these six sources, we are totally convinced we will achieve that. Um, when you start a cradle-to-cradle exercise, it sounds all very easy, but it is very, very hard work. Because we started our adventure with Michael Braungart and his institute, and they started to analyze all our ingredients. And this is how the ingredients look like. They're good, but some are bad. They comply with the law, and they are in line with REACH and CE labeling of the AU, which allows certain parts per millions of toxic ingredients. But what we want is 0,00. So we had a couple of raw material suppliers who didn't really want to cooperate and said, well, why don't you stay seated? We will dance with the others. But now everybody wants to dance with us. And in 2020, we will be there where that green bar is. Um, I skip a couple of things. We have 90% of our carpet tiles are cradle to cradle certified. And it is all nice to... Uh, make products of very pure materials, but it will only work if you close the loop. Now, the European Carpet Association uh, tried to do that seven years ago with a lot of manufacturers, but they spent five million euro and nothing happened. So we decided to set up our own recycling division. And what we today do, we take back all carpet tiles, also from competition, 80% is actually from competition, and we have developed a, a technology where we separate the yarn from the backing, and that is, a, is expressed by this movie and then I stop. Millions of square meters of worn out carpet are thrown away every year, often being dumped to landfill sites. Early 2008, Desso, a leading manufacturer of high quality carpet tiles and broadloom, took revolutionary steps to ensure that carpets can be safely recycled. Inspired by nature's continuous cycle, Desso bears the true identity of the cradle to cradle philosophy. Desso offers clients a take-back program to ensure that products will be recycled according to the cradle-to-cradle -cradle principles. 
Products will be taken back by Deso after their useful life and will be safely recycled into new carpet products or used in other recycling initiatives. Besides its own products, Deso also encourages international collection of all types of used carpet, except for carpet containing PVC. These carpet products are recycled using Deso's innovative separation technique called Refinity. This makes it possible to separate the carpet fibers from the backing, producing two material streams which can each be recycled. The carpet fibers are returned to the yarn manufacturer for production of new yarn. For Polymite 6 yarn, this process takes place at Aquafil, one of Deso's yarn suppliers. Aquafil has developed a proprietary technology at its regeneration plant to turn recovered post-consumer Polymite 6 carpet fibers into Polymite 6 again and again. And today's bitumen backing is used in the road and roofing industry. Fractions from felt-backed tiles are currently being used as secondary fuel, for instance, in the cement industry. Cradle-to-cradle -cradle design is inspired by nature and sees carpet as being made up of nutrients that should consistently remain in use in an unending cycle. This is why Deso developed a new backing to replace the traditional bitumen backing. Deso EcoBase is a new carpet tile backing that is 100% safely recyclable in Deso's own production process. Next to that, Deso is the first carpet tile manufacturer to have achieved a cradle-to-cradle -cradle silver certificate for an entire carpet tile product. This results in a continuous technical cycle where old carpet is turned into new carpet again and again and again. Carpets manufactured according to the cradle-to-cradle -cradle design principles will be available in the same full range, superior quality and durability that the Deso brand has always represented. Deso products promote health, wellness and well-being and create a positive impact on people and the environment. Deso's footprint is positive and creative. Okay, now the last thing I want to say about this, how do uh, customers and governments react to this? Uh, most uh, companies have co um, corporate social responsibility strategies and sustainability strategies, but it's all about lower CO2 and lower energy. And what we have today is not only a climate crisis, we have a raw material crisis as well and a toxicity crisis as well. And we personally believe that Cradle to Cradle addresses all of these three. And if you can make that, uh, bring that hand in hand with making money with it, I think you're doing probably the right thing. Thank you very much. I've got, uh, I've got two young children. I can tell you that our carpets also uh, consist of nutrients to a great extent. Um, uh, but but uh, I think you're the future. You're the future. So we've got technology anticipating and, in a sense, mimicking human beings and products mimicking nature. Eco-mimicry is an important concept in sustainability, I think. We'd better move on because the, we now have the inimitable... Do you see what I did? Mrs. Moneypenny, columnist, business leader... Force of nature, woman. Tell us about, tell us about ambitious women. Um, it, it was uh, a great pleasure to be here again at Port Merion. And last year, I was on a panel with Darcy, who um, has re-emerged a year later running Clinton Cards. And I was really excited about that because Clinton Cards, the founder of Clinton Cards, is one of the few men male case studies that I have used in careers advice for ambitious women. Um, so I thought it was a very fitting circle, a continuous circle, that uh, we should be coming back to. So today, what I want to try and do is talk about sustainable, durable, 
careers. Okay? Now, I wrote this book for women, so there's a big treat today. The men in the audience are going to get some top tips from me. Okay? <laughs> um, and we're going to try a couple of things I've not tried before live on stage. Okay? I'm going to give you a small practical tip just to get you into the swing of it. And then I'm going to give you a big serious tip, which, as I said, I've, I've written for women, but I'll share it with men. So uh, one of the first things I wanted to share with you is that at a micro level, so we have one micro tip and one big macro tip. So the micro tip is this. It, oh, it is very, very important how you present yourself. It is very important how you present yourself to the outside world. It, you know, you've seen here, uh, you know, how all sorts of people are talking about how they present themselves. You know, how Deso presents itself will say a lot to people about why they should do business with it. So it's very, very important about how you present yourself. And I was thinking, well, you know, how can, you know, how, how can women present themselves to make sure they're taken seriously? And particularly me. I mean, how can middle-aged, overweight mothers of three, um, you know, who are heading for their 50th birthday in two weeks, do, you know, make sure that people take you seriously? You know, and don't just look at you and, and, you know, and think you're a bit of a joke. I loved the stand-up comedy last night. Um, yeah, and yeah. I, you know, as someone who's written and performed stand-up comedy at Edinburgh, I know that, uh, you know, I knew what I was missing. I should have worn sequins. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And how you present yourself is very important. So here's going to be a very practical tip from me about how to get taken seriously. So I'm just going to show... Hang on, one minute. So first prop. Can you just pass me that? Be, I haven't got to come down for it. Having broken my arm uh, in January, it's still going. So here is uh, my handbag. Okay. Now, you know, I just, uh, it's quite critical as handbag. So what does that tell you about me? It tells you that I have an Anya Highmarch handbag. Actually, it's been quite a lot better. You know, so people look at that if they know anything about Anya Highmarch handbags. And uh, they can say, oh, yes, you know, some sort of quality and distinction. And, you know, makes a bit of a statement about her. But the truth is, Anya Highmarch, while it's a lovely brand and it's a fantastic handbag. And this is the second one. I think this one's about three years old. It keeps going and going and going. And very durable and sustainable and recyclable. But it, at the end of the day, you have to know something about that brand. And also, by the way, that handbag costs nearly a 1000 pounds. So you, you have to slightly... <laughs> so you have to, uh, you really have to... Uh, last year, by the way, I commented on Julia's handbag. I noticed that she, she's, not, she's not carrying one around so much. So, All right. Oh, yes. Is it the same one? No, that's not at all. I bet you that didn't cost a thousand pounds. So I... So here is a new tip, okay, for careers, for building and a sustainable career, getting yourself taken seriously. This is how to transform how everybody thinks about you for £2.50. All right? Okay? Now, that's Monday to Friday. It costs you a bit more at the weekend. But, uh, but you know what? I read the whole thing cover to cover on my iPad. I still spend £2.50 on it. I put it in my handbag. I never open it all day. I, I, le I leave it there. You know, I might have a body mass index of 37, but you have to take me seriously. All right. Um, <laughs> right, that's just warmed us up, okay? Has that warmed up the panel? 
Yes, okay, just checking. Mm. I'm going to give Gabby this book when I've finished, okay, <laughs> when I finish this session. So, um, so there you are, you, 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 the, the back costs £2.50, the book costs £10. Think what you could transfer your career doing that. Now, um, okay, we're going to try a bit of audience participation now. I, I've never forgot two years ago when I first came to Port Merion, we had a bit of community singing. Uh, 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 in, I'm not going to try the community singing, not least of which because I can't sing. Um, but I just, there's a very powerful word that everyone, and again, I wrote this for women, but this is just as applicable for men. So we're going to have a go at saying a word three times all together, okay? And the word is no. All right? So let, I want to hear it first. So one, two, three. No. Okay? So the next time we're a bit louder, okay? One, two, three. No. Okay, and then we're going to really try and blow the roof of Hercules Hall, okay? Last time. One, two, three. No. no. Excellent. Right, okay? The reason you need to do that is that saying no is a life skill. All right? It's a really important thing. If you want a sustainable and durable career that's going to go on and going to take you to the top, you have to learn to say no. It's not that difficult. You all just manage to do it brilliantly. But actually, in life, people find it really difficult in their careers to say no. And there are 168 hours in the week. Okay? You really have to use them well. In fact, one of the things that Don, who founded Clinton Cards, which I mention in here, says is about, you know, he focuses on what he achieves in that 168 hours. And it, it is so important as a life skill to learn. And if you don't learn to focus and prioritise and say no to things, and it feels bad saying no. I mean, we all had fun saying it there. But trying saying no to your child who wants you to go and watch them play cricket on a Saturday afternoon. Try saying no to a charity that wants you to go and do your stand-up comedy show. And, you know, if you will have this all the time. You know, I have 168 hours in my week. It might be a very, very valuable charity, and it might do a lot of people a lot of good, but I could accept invitations like that every single week. Um, and, you know, my own career would get nowhere. And you know what? The best way to help the poor, ladies and gentlemen, is not to become one of them. <laughs> um, uh, the... So, uh, the, uh, 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 basically, you have to know your priorities because then you can measure up requests for your time and, and actually work out whether or not you should be saying yes or you should be saying no. Now, my priorities in this order are my career, my children, my husband, my friends, myself. Okay? I state this in my book. It's not a secret. Um, I, and everybody you know, says, well, isn't that a bit strange? You know, how come your career is before your children? I believe by helping myself, I will help in the long... Those are my immediate short-term priorities. So those are the priorities against which I measure requests for my time. And I believe that by focusing on those in the long term, I will help my family and my children much more than, it, than if they were actually right at the top of the list at the moment. That's controversial, but it works. And if you think about it, you know, and I was discussing this um, at... Uh, dinner last night and explaining one of the thing, one of the examples I use a lot. Um, if, first of all, if you are an athlete training for the Olympics this summer, you will have to say no to lots of things if you want to be successful. And people are not successful in their careers without making difficult choices that don't feel great. And you have to learn to say no. An Olympic athlete will not go out, presumably, as much as they, he or she might like. They won't drink as much alcohol as he or she might like. They, they are having to choose how to use their 168 hours and if you want a successful career you will have to do that too and the second thing is think about the whole 
um, aircraft safety thing. Now, famously, I flew up here. In fact, Stefan flew up with me. We have, uh, it's become the sort of Port Merion Express. Next year, I will have to fly up into 747, except <laughs> it, won't, it won't land at Carnarvon, Julia, so you might have to manage everybody's expectations. Um, and uh, in, in an aircraft, you will all have been through the safety drill if you're traveling with a child, which is that you put your own life jacket on first before you put theirs. Because if you are strong and successful, then you are better able to look after your children. And that is true for careers as it is for other things. In the interest of saying no, Mrs. Money Penny, you are running out of time. Okay, and we do have right. something very important coming next. Okay, so I was so wrap it up. Yeah, so I, I was brave enough to right. do that. Okay, <laughs> thank you, very brave, yes. <laughs> Right, so on that basis, we'll cut straight to the chase. And uh, I've I, I given the book examples about how to say no to really important things to learn how to say to no to. Um, you know, your time, um, your compensation, which is another reason women are so badly paid. And uh, finally, sex. Okay? So, um, of course, uh, we've, uh, we've all... I'll just finish on this note. We all, as women... I won't ask you to put your hands up. We won't make this participative exercise. But most women I know have had sex when they didn't really want to. And we are not talking about rape. We are talking about it's his birthday. <laughs> okay. And so I try and give you some gun in it. I'll try and give some guidance in here to, uh, to, um, to how to say no to sex in the workplace, assuming you want to. Okay? Uh, and I'll just redo this and then I'll stop, Gabby. Okay? A, a more intimate colleague uh, encounter with a colleague, boss or client will have to be declined as nicely as possible because actually how to say no is really important. When you say no, you need to say no. Not something that you think means no, like, oh, well, I'll think about it or whatever. No, no. The word no needs to be in the sentence, okay? And it needs to be done as well as possible, as constructively as possible. Um, a more intimate enco- encounter with a colleague, boss or client will have to be declined as nicely as possible and with an explanation. Otherwise, it will all be very awkward next time you meet. It is best to say that, of course, if circumstances were different and they, you, were not married or working for the same employer or whatever, they would be the man of your dreams. It is definitely not a good idea to say what you are really thinking, especially if they are senior to you and could be influential in your career, and B, if you are thinking that if they were the last man on the planet, masturbation would be an attractive alternative. Thank you.